4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Coming up later in the show, we'll uh, check in with Stanford coach David Shaw. Uh, Q Myers over on Raider Nation Radio 920 is uh, anchoring our coverage down on the strip. So uh, he caught up with David Shaw. We'll uh, hear part of that conversation and also NFL analyst, former college football player Charles Davis will be with us in the 5 o'clock hour. Caleb Heron coming up in about 15. Former UNLV quarterback, uh, final moments, days of spring practice with the uh, Rebels, and they just had the spring showcase this past Saturday. It's Cofield. It's Candy. Uh, a lot of good stories out there. A lot of good stories from all different publications. Our local paper uh, had a recent story. Sam Gordon doing a great job um, adding to the uh, features department with the RJ and uh, caught up with – Mark Davis and and Mark uh, MD still has some things that he wants to get off his chest, Candy, about the Gruden emails. What do you think? Yeah, and uh, at least he caught up with an interview that uh, that happened in the Bay Area. So the uh, the Mark Davis situation to me, I've been saying for months, you got to speak up about Gruden. You've got to say something. You have to not pretend that this is going to go into the background. So. Hey, yay, I got it. I got what I wanted. Mark Davis talked about John Gruden. And in this interview uh, up in the Bay, uh, he said a number of things about Gruden's situation, but I'll quote straight from the article. Davis said he did not see Gruden, quote, do anything that had anything to do with the statements that were made on those emails. As far as in practice, John was one of the most perfect people that I'd seen around. I don't think it's fair for anybody to insinuate that those types of things were happening well let's uh let's start right there you take your red herring and shove it right back in your fanny pack mark because nobody is insinuating that those things were happening around the raiders that's not the issue the issue is the content of the emails perfect you want to know if the man crush is still strong for mark davis if he's really been able to read those emails with any sort of objectivity The answer is no, he has not. Mark Davis is still in love with John Gruden. He wishes that he didn't have to end the relationship the way that he did. And if if Mark Davis sees John Gruden show up outside his door on Christmas Eve with those love actually signs saying, to me, you are perfect, he's going to love him right back. This is ridiculous. Mark Davis does not accept the content of what John Gruden said in those emails, all of the racism, all of the misogyny. He does not accept it. He will not accept it. He sees John Gruden as, quote, close to perfect. Perfect. Find another human being who is willing to describe John Gruden and the content of the emails that were revealed last year as perfect or close to perfect. So you know what, Cofield? I take it back. I take it all back. I've wanted Mark Davis to speak up and say something, but you know what, man? If this is what you're going to speak up and say, then just go back to not saying anything because it was better that way. Do you think if the emails hadn't emerged, the rugs and Arnett stuff still happens, unfortunately, very unfortunate with rugs. If Gruden's around, they fall short of the playoffs. Are we going into this year with Mike Mayock as the GM and John Gruden as the head coach? 100%. Without question. And remember, if it hasn't been that long, remember that a few months ago when the first round of Gruden emails broke, Mark Davis basically put out a statement that's like, well, we're reading them. We're looking into it. And he didn't say any more. 
And it took until Monday Night Football when the rest of the emails got leaked out for Mark Davis to finally acquiesce. And he didn't come out and say, these are horrible. He didn't come out and say, this is reprehensible. He basically put out a statement saying, John Gruden's no longer the coach of the Raiders. And I, at the time, said, that's not enough. The content of this demands that the head of the Raiders franchise, the man who is the son of Al Davis, who has quite a record as a progressive in the NFL, needs to speak up and needs to clearly and firmly denounce it. And what have we gotten since then? All we've gotten since then is Mark Davis getting angry at the NFL and saying, well, we, you know, why'd they leak this? And why are they coming after us? And why are they doing it to the Raiders? Not the fact that these emails are reprehensible and they show that John Gruden has a long track record of saying things, whether he believes them or not, not my issue. The world believes it when they see it in print. He has a long history of it that is documented, and Mark Davis is not willing to accept the content of it because he's as close to perfect as John Gruden as what he's seen in practice. No one is insinuating that the Raiders acted that way. But what we don't have to insinuate, Cofield, we don't have to insinuate anything about the way Mark Davis looks at it because he's telling us how he looks at it, which is a witch hunt that took his boyfriend away. Giveaway time, 364-1100-364-1100. Ari's at our ticket window. He's got two tickets to The Cult. The show is May 8th, House of Blues. If you don't win here, you can grab the tickets at Ticketmaster.com. It's a 7.30 show. The Cult is playing The House of Blues on May 8th. 364-1100-364-1100. Caleb Herring is on the way as we'll uh, start to put a wrap on what UNLV football has done in the spring, especially off of the field working the transfer portal. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. The successor for Mark Emery has to bring the NCAA into the 21st century, man. Stop dragging behind on all this stuff with NIL. Literally adjust to this age that we're in so it can become a profitable business not only for the NCAA but also for the players participating in it garnering this billions of dollars each and every year hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center it's Cofield and Company Jay Williams on our national morning show right here on ESPN Las Vegas yeah that take is uh, about eight years too late so the ship has sailed Mark Emmert is done uh, they're not going to say it, but they pushed him out. He had a contract all the way through 2025. He's been an utter failure. And now the conferences have just said, you know what? This guy is an F up, so we're just taking over. Caleb Herring is in. He played college football. He's been watching what's going on. Um, it's a There's a bit of upheaval right now. I don't think it's the end of college sports because of the portal and NIL. But Caleb, um, I know you saw the story by Dan Wetzel of Yahoo, who just laid it out. Every time Mark Emmert had a challenge – in front of him, he either farmed it out or basically did nothing about it. And that's why we are where we are right now with the state of the biggest college sports, men's basketball and football. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's what happens when you when you kind of sit on the golden egg for, like you said, eight to ten years. While you could have been planning, preparing and having some sort of blueprint put together for when this day inevitably came, when NIL became a thing, when the transfer portal blew up. There should have been some sort of infrastructure, right? That was like premeditated as the the inevitable change was coming, right? Everybody kind of we'd been talking about this and the necessity of things like NIL and the transfer porter and player rights in general. 
um, for the NCAA for for decades, really. Um, and you know, having being a president or being paid as handsomely as the president of the NCAA was to to make these decisions and to be ahead of the curve on these things, um, you should have had something ready. So that I guess I, I it's kind of a debacle. I'm not going to say it's a complete catastrophe right now with what the transfer portal is and how NIL has kind of been unraveling itself um, based on legislation and states and things like that and kind of the NCAA really being forced to get behind it as early as they did or when they did. Um, but I, I think it could have been a lot better and a lot smoother and there could have been a better understanding of how things would work and what things would look like had the president of the NCAA been more, uh, I guess, um, future-minded instead of reactive and responsive all the time when it was obvious that this was going to happen. This is this was the trajectory. Um, so, yeah, it, there's been debacle after debacle, and I think the NCAA is in a, a, a worse position than it should be. I think the business of you know what money comes in and what revenue is generated by college sports is, is it is what it is. I think it's one of those machines that's going to always make money. It's just going to be a matter of getting it right and distributing it the right way, and uh, whoever the next president is, is going to have their hands full trying to really figure that out because um, as, as some of the scathing interviews and articles have said, it's been bad for the last 12 years um, and it's going to have to get better quick to catch up with the curve of the transfer portal and, and to kind of get ahead of things with, with the way the NIL deals are rolling out so far. I'll tell you what, Caleb, I, I would even take reactive versus future minded considering what we got out of Mark Emmert during the beginning of COVID and the sort of, Mm. lack of leadership from any level at the NCAA that we had when it came to March Madness and what was going to happen with that year. Were we going to have a tournament? Were conferences going to be canceling? Uh, you know, that to me was a situation where as much as Mark Emmert has failed in all of the ways that you just talked about, looking forward and being prepared for things that were coming, which I would add sports betting to because the NCAA still has an archaic stance on sports betting trying to act like it's not happening. But more to the point of if he reacted as a leader in moments when the NCAA needed a leader, even moments of crisis, we might have some positive thing to say about him. But, man, it's hard for me to come up with anything positive. <laughs> no, there, there's very little to come up positive. And like, on that note, you know, like I, I reading the article you're talking about Yahoo Sports, it just reminded me of how much of a debacle the whole, when you talk about the NCAA tournament, the women's, <laughs> the women's weight room compared to the men's and how even just – First, just first of all, having that big of a disparity uh, between the two was ridiculous. Then the response to it, not like not even having a, the appropriate like urgency and saying like this was a mistake. We shouldn't have done this. Those type of debacles that were like more public relations debacles than than actual um, function and, and, and like uh, like uh, the system of the NCAA. Those things even were fumbled along the way. So it, like you said, I, I would have taken, I guess, responding better than over what we got. Like what we got was just like somebody literally collecting millions of dollars a year to just kind of stand by and let the machine do what it does and not even it, seemingly not even care what the outcome was. As long as the machine's making money, I'll be OK. Um, and meanwhile, the, the whole world shifted around um, as far as what the, the general consensus and attitude is about things like athletes getting paid more or things like what to do in a pandemic situation or like you said the conference realignment structure it, it, it these last 12 years under Emmer Emmer have really kind of kind of strengthened the notion that we don't need the NCAA as an institution anymore like we don't really do we actually have to have that 
in order to enjoy college sports as we know it. And the argument it got stronger over the last 10 years because of the lack of uh, the lack of response that we saw to some of the major crises that came about in the world of college sports. Caleb Herring is with us. Uh, UNLV football is wrapping up uh, spring practice after the spring showcase. And, you know, one of the big stories of the spring, Caleb, has been all the help they've been trying to pull out of the transfer portal. Uh, that includes a running back, a uh, big one, 230-pounder from Louisville, Aiden Robbins, uh, Utah State, Utah outside linebacker defensive end, and Elijah Shelton. They picked up a big wide receiver, but really the the, the biggest splash has been at the defensive back position where they grabbed a, a kid from Utah, LeCarrie Pleasant-Johnson. They grabbed a former starter from Utah State and Cam Lampkin and also a kid from Limestone uh, in Chris Williams. I want you to listen here to what Arroyo said. Uh, first of all, to the question, hey, you've got a lot of defensive backs right now. How are these guys reacting to see more players coming out of the portal to compete with them? Well, number one, I think it tells the guys who are here that we're going to always recruit talent. We're going to keep, keep things competitive. We've got to improve our roster every way we can. Um, I don't want, and these guys know that, we, we don't want a, a group of guys who aren't interested in, in having guys next to them that are good and raising the competitive advantage anywhere we can on our football field. Caleb? So what would be your reaction when you've got a, you've got a lot of guys who played a good amount of time? Uh, Noah Williams, I think, is entrenched at one of the cornerback positions, but you've got some veterans out there and you've got some young guys who are expecting playing time and they look up and the transfer portal's bringing in three more guys. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a few things that come to mind initially and that like all of them are probably human responses, especially for, for young competitive athletes in this day and age. I don't want to sound like an old guy, but in the, this day and age, there's there's all kinds of things that would come to mind. And the worry is that the fear of competition or the sense of entitlement, I should say, um, those things are kind of synonymous. But though that is probably the worst response that you can have, where it's like, I feel like just because I've been here, um, I should be entitled to more playing time. I feel like I should not have to compete with someone who hasn't been here and put in the time and work that I put in. That's like probably the worst possible reaction that you can have. And hopefully you got a lot of room for the guys who don't feel that way. But it is a reality that some somebody will. And that's why the transfer portal has become such a booming thing is because a lot of people across the country have felt that way. They don't feel they should have to compete with somebody. And that is one of many reasons that people enter the transfer portal. The correct response, I think that the team oriented response and that what you're looking for out of based on Coach Arroyo's words there is you're looking for guys who have the iron sharpens iron mentality mm -hmm. where if there's somebody else good in the locker room, it will make me better because now I'm competing against better competition. Um, and in that competition, I'll get better. Maybe even let's just say the most mature response to having somebody come into the locker room of, of, of a competitive nature is to say, I'll learn something from him. I'll pick his brain maybe in the yeah. locker room. We'll have a relationship where, hey, his technique that he learned at Utah or wherever he's transferred or Louisville, that technique, I hadn't learned that before. Let me add that to my tool belt and I'll become a better player for it. And then the roster inherently becomes a better roster for it. So that's what you hope. That's the ultimate goal is that by bringing in these these this caliber of player, this these competitive or or potential starting type players to the roster that the overall roster improves. Obviously, with depth, because if you got two guys that potentially could start, now the second string is a, a starter, quote unquote starter. Um, so that's one way. But then the natural competition and that friction in the locker room, a healthy friction in the locker room, actually makes both participants in the competition better uh, individually. So 
the guys in the locker room who are currently there should look at it like, hey, yeah, I understand. We're going to make it a competitive thing. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be the best one. And whatever that takes, even if and even if I don't become the best one, our team will at least be better. And I'll enjoy winning as a result of me pushing this competition to the max. So I, I see the sentiment. I see where Aurora is coming from. Anytime you have an opportunity to add talent to a roster, you should absolutely take that opportunity, especially if you're UNLV trying to crawl up from the bottom of the Mountain West to, to try to contend for for conference titles. You, you're definitely trying to improve your roster at every opportunity. Well, and the other reason he said to load up on defensive backs and have plenty of numbers is for this reason. This is a passing conference. They're throwing the ball down the field. I mean, this is now today's age is, is, is a lot of seven on seven. There's some good quarterbacks in this conference. There's some big time wide receivers in this conference. We've got to be able to play the ball down the field. It hurt us in a couple games last year, um, big, especially late. Being able to, to bolster our roster on the defensive end, uh, especially in the backfield, is, is, and, and cover some of these wide receivers and play the passing game that exists in this conference is big. Yep, and he nails it there because last year, Utah State, uh, even San Diego State when they needed stops, uh, San Jose State over the middle against their – Big tight end, a Fresno. They just could not get stops. They just didn't have the numbers and the healthy numbers at the end of games, Caleb, to get 50-50 balls and make stops. Yeah, and you saw it in glimpses when Noel Williams, who I think is their best ball-playing defender, when he was available and healthy in the lineup, his ability to play the ball down the field made impacts in in winning plays and in positive ways where hit that you see like, okay, it's necessary. Getting off the field on a third and long, having a guy to play the ball down the field is necessary. Unfortunately, there just wasn't the depth last year when Noel went out or who when the injuries started to accumulate last season to have that depth down the roster to be able to play the ball downfield. And that that's huge. I think it everywhere really in college football these days, it's become a passing league. It's become more about how you can sh- uh, spread the field out, make the defense thin and attack the gaps down the field. So uh, bolstering up the defensive backfield is definitely huge. And then I think also philosophically, I think with with the way UNLV has traditionally or or in recent years been the smallest of the teams in the conference. Like there's there's been a lot of bully ball that's been going on in the trenches. And I think this is an, also another way to by adding people in secondary, adding speed to your defense. It's a way to to kind of swarm as a defense instead of trying to do it individually with one-on-ones in the trenches um, and just trying to win with physicality alone. I think this, having more people in secondaries, more bodies in secondary, more more fast, quick bodies, you're allowed now to throw more bodies into blitz packages, let's say, or to spread the field out and cover more area with these bodies in the secondary. So that way you're stopping not only the pass, but then reacting to the run as well with speed and getting to the ball quicker rather than relying on one-on-one tackling in open field where UNLV hasn't been very good in recent years at at securing those tackles and winning at the point of attack all the time. So there is a double-edged sword. There's a lot of different ways you can spin, and I think the plan for UNLV is to definitely add speed and to be able to defend the pass, but as a consequence, you're also going to be able to cover a lot of field with the speed too. Caleb Herring, the former quarterback at UNLV, our football analyst on Wednesdays. Let's turn our attention to the NFL draft. I don't know if this will happen, but the Jets were aggressive on Tyreek Hill. There's some reports out there saying the Jets – might be willing to offer the number 10 pick, a couple of seconds, and a player in Elijah Moore to get Debo Samuel. Do you like that deal on either side for both sides? What do you think? Well, I think, you know, the Jets the Jets need to add talent to their roster, so it makes sense that the Jets, are being, Jets would be aggressive for anybody who became potentially available of the caliber of Tyreek Hill or, or Debo Samuel. So I... I do think that would be interesting. It's always hard around draft time to 
to gauge what is serious interest and what is just, I guess, smoke and mirrors to try to create some sort of, uh, I guess, chaos around draft day. Because the Jets could very well just be saying that just to get other people interested in maybe shopping that number 10 pick because they don't feel like they have or need anybody in, with that pick, right? So th- there's a lot of speculation that gets thrown around in the in these days before the draft. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you're the Jets and you're thinking that Zach Wilson is your guy. Let's say you got your quarterback and and you you're, you're trying to maximize that window when he's on his rookie deal, where you can build the roster up, you can maybe sacrifice some picks because you know you're not going to need the high picks. You can just get the bodies available to your young quarterback while he's on that rookie deal, and then go for it for three or four years with, you know, a heavily paid wide receiver, some other pieces around him, and then go for it with a, with a cheap quarterback, so quote-unquote cheap quarterback. It makes sense, and I think that's the window of opportunity that more teams need to take advantage of. You got a young quarterback on a rookie deal, go for it. Go ahead and get your, you know, that winning window while you can fill out the roster and take these kind of risks because once you pay your quarterback, once the quarterback has his max deal or whatever, it's going to be very hard to even entertain deals like this with Debo Samuels. This is maybe something that doesn't happen but once every 10 years or once every five or six years where a major move happens like this with a receiver in the offseason. So if you're the Jets, go for it. Why not? But it's yet to be determined. We'll see how much movement goes on with those top 10, 15 picks in the draft tomorrow. Um, a lot of excitement and anticipation around it, but we'll see if the Jets stick to it and if the Niners are even going to entertain such a deal. We'll see if Debo even gets to leave, if the Niners make that decision. But um, a lot to be determined tomorrow. I'm excited to see where where the NFL lands and how how things shape up for next season. Draft day always wild, never predictable. One of the things we like most about it is that the surprises pop up throughout the course of three days, and I'm not sure anyone's ever been quite as surprised as seeing the gas mask video of Laramie Tunsil uh, partaking in some now legal substances here. In Nevada, and I don't know if you saw this today, Caleb, but he is now selling an NFT of that and giving the proceeds to uh, cannabis justice reform, basically saying like, yeah, you know what? This this was a this was a crazy moment. I've overcome it. I, I want to use it to make some positive impact. And what did you think of this? I, you know, I think it's great. I think what you said just hit it on the head for me. Was what what I my take on it was. You know what was a kind of crazy moment for him in his personal life and his career, um, publicly and otherwise, um, when it happened. Now you can kind of flip it into a positive, which I think, with the general attitude around cannabis and and smoking marijuana in this country to begin with, there's been a major shift, and it's been that that right there hit this microcosm of his life where it was chastised and and scrutinized when it happened with the gas mask for for the reasons that were justified at the time. But now the the conscience of the country has kind of shifted to where, hey, we can flip this into a positive. And what better way to do that than to support something like prison reform and, and cannabis reform through this this NFT? It's a, a, a cool spin on thing. That's a mature thing to do. And I'm glad he's able to kind of flip this into a positive in his career um, to where people aren't going to ridicule anymore. And, and maybe uh, cannabis won't be ridiculed as much in, in the eyes of the uh, the old guard in this country who still look down on such a thing. Um, and, and make it their business to to chastise people that way. But I think it's cool. I think it's really cool that this can this story can be flipped these, what, three or four years later that quickly to to be a positive thing uh, for reform and change. That's a, that's a good way to put your stamp on it. Caleb, good job, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the draft. We'll have lots to break down after the draft. 
All right, guys. Take care. Have a good weekend. You too. Adam Candy, Steve Cofield, moving past the halfway point of Cofield and company. We'll get you set up for the uh, night in the NBA. Look back at last night and get you ready for Chicago and Milwaukee. By the way, Milwaukee and Boston odds for that series are already set, obviously, if you make a bet and Milwaukee doesn't make it, it's going to be refunded. We also have uh, Denver and Golden State tonight as the Warriors try to close things out. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Trent Baalke, if you think about it, the general manager for Jacksonville, he loves athletes at the position. At six foot five, 270 pounds, he runs in the low four fives, which is unheard of at defensive end. So I think Baalke, similar to what he did when he was with the 49ers, when he selected Alden Smith, a very similar mold as far as an athlete to Trayvon Walker at the position. It's Cofield and Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. Jordan Reed talking about Trayvon Walker there. Walker now, Candy, as we're just minutes away from the betting being pulled off the boards here in Las Vegas, is now minus 275. Minus 275 to be the number one pick. (laughs) Absolutely amazing for a guy who had as little production in college as he did. But it would be so very Jaguars to make this kind of pick. To have the number one pick in back-to-back years. For them to think they were doing the right thing, taking the generational quarterback prospect in Trevor Lawrence. And then for him to fizzle in year one, although bigger had a lot to do with that. And then in year two, hey, we've got another number one pick, and we're going to take a guy who's a maybe. Because that's all he can say, right? You have to at least say Trayvon Walker is a maybe at best because we haven't seen the production in what was a defense full of production last year. And you mentioned Evan Neal at one point was a solid choice to go number one. His number is now five and a half the over the uh fifth and a half pick now minus 190 yeah i'm well aware considering i'm holding a fair amount of evan neal plus 150 uh to go first overall which i then hedged uh. with a little bit of icky Aquanu uh back in what february or so like post super bowl when these markets were first going up uh at least in some places not many around here but yeah uh, the, the moves have been real, and uh, there are a lot of people who are holding some Aiden Hutchinson who felt very good about themselves who are feeling very nervous right now. That's been the crazy part, Cofield. There's been so much movement in this market. There's no reasonable way to hedge. There really there isn't. There have been too many names at too many yeah. bad prices. So there was a number out last week on the Hawks as a dog and not covering. Last night, they were a dog. They lost. They're out of the series, but they did cover the four and a half, which, uh, you know, it went from six and a half to four and a half on the news that uh, Jimmy Butler was out. How long was the streak of non covers as dogs for the Hawks? Uh, I, I will start by saying, admittedly, I am in no way a trends player. It has never been something that I spend a whole lot of time on. But uh, how about this? First time that they had covered as a dog in a loss since February 10 of 2021. So even for someone like me who doesn't love trends, that's a pretty impressive one. Right. And the key the key phrase is they're in a loss. I mean, obviously, they won a lot of games, uh, and the point spread didn't matter. 
Um, they won games as an underdog, but when they lost, they never freaking covered as a dog. That is crazy. It was an 0 and 42 run. It's incredible. 68 game streak with the Hawks as a dog that didn't matter, according to uh, our old friend RJ Bell. Amazing. You uh, you got anything on the games tonight? No, not at all. Uh, I you know what I have actually really enjoyed with this NBA first round, just sitting back and watching there have been way more competitive games than i expected to see out of this first round and denver and golden state by the way uh just watching denver take all the punches it did from golden state and somehow come out the other side of it was remarkable i think they're about to get smacked around tonight to finish this thing up with steph going back into the starting lineup but uh, the resilience that we saw out of the nuggets i thought was impressive to even win a game join the conversation on twitter at cofield and co Tampa Bay has traded the fifth pick to Jacksonville with the fifth pick in the 2012 NFL Draft. The Jacksonville Jaguars select Justin Blackman, wide receiver, Oklahoma State. Please, no, 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 no! It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. Draft. Yeah, that one didn't work out, and uh, it wasn't an ability question with Mr. Blackman. He had some issues off of the field, but uh, every team out there, every fan has had some pains with these first-round picks, so we'll see how many teams get it right this time around. When you're in the number one hole, you need to get it right more often than not, like 90% of the time. The Jags are in the number one hole, and it's amazing. We still don't exactly know who they're going with, which says a lot about this draft. I don't know if it says a lot about management. Lauren Brooks covers the Jags, has been doing it for a while for 1010XL. Join Steve and Adam here in Vegas. Lauren, how you doing? I am great, thanks. How are y'all? We're good. Uh, let's come out of the gates and uh, go a little post, uh, post-urban here and just talk about the difference so far that you're seeing with Doug Peterson around versus Herb. By the way, uh, real quick, the Justin Blackman highlight you know, should make me want to cry. Uh, as far as the pick in the draft, not even yeah. one of the worst ones. That's yeah. the the path of the Jaguars to the draft is they've had a lot of uh, yes. missed opportunities. As far as this year for number one overall, to me, when they said to us on this past Friday that they had narrowed it down to four guys and they still didn't know who they were going to go with, it was a little surprising. But at the same time, at least, I think all of the Jaguars fans have more trust in this operation, even though Trent Baalke is still here, and, and many people know that Jaguars fans wanted Baalke out as the general manager, at least Doug Peterson you know, has a Super Bowl, has experience in the league, and so in comparison to the Urban Meyer uh, era, if you even can call it that since he was here for less than a year, uh, it's, the culture is completely different. The vibe around the team, the vibe when we go to the stadium, you know, when I ask them questions, it's met with smiles instead of angst. They have answers, especially Doug Peterson has answers to our questions. Urban Meyer was very difficult to get to know, and also it seemed like he didn't really know a whole lot. So maybe that's why he put off the front of, you know, I'm too good for people to get to know me. But honestly, Doug Peterson seems like a guy that you would go to dinner with, you'd learn his life story, he would actually learn yours, and you'd walk away feeling really, really good about the time that you spent with him. 
I don't know, Lauren. I feel like if you if you meet Urban in the right setting, he would be more than happy for any one of us to to get to know him. He seems like uh, if you leave you know you leave uh, him behind at his uh, bar maybe for a, a night. Female who's around twenty two and blonde, maybe that's the person. Oh, you know what? That is a big difference, isn't it? That's a pretty big <laughs> difference. Uh, the rest in what of it's us, like he could care her. less. No, no, I think the rest <laughs> of us he uh, he would probably just walk on by. So uh, he did have another. Uh, 22-year-old under his care recently, though, in Trevor Lawrence. Mm -hmm. And we watched Trevor Lawrence have his ups and his downs last year. So I think the natural question is, as the Jaguars get ready to draft this year, how much of what we saw out of the struggles of Trevor Lawrence do you think goes to the sort of crazy regime that was around him? Well, certainly it was dysfunctional, to say the least. But I think a lot of the troubles while granted Urban's to be blamed for a lot, there's no question. But I think a lot of the issues last year and struggles for Trevor Lawrence were the terrible wide receivers on the field. They ran the wrong route, they had no separation, and when the ball was thrown their way, they didn't catch it. So when you talk about and he had really no tight ends to speak of other than Dan Arnold, who the Jaguars traded um, the Panthers to get him, and he was great until he got hurt. But Trevor really had nowhere to go with the ball. And then the offensive line was was fine. I don't think that is a massive issue. But he just never developed a trust with his receivers. And I do think that probably does speak to the larger issue of the fact that you have a head coach who's never worked in the NFL, who assembled a staff that was some NFL guys, some college guys, none of them got along. Uh, Urban, from what I've been told, was out late at night a lot, um, indulging in adult beverages and so i think yes the master plan never came together because the leader was not ever experienced or even fully 100 percent into it but moreover i think it was the lack of production from the wide receivers and so trevor lawrence i think is going to be fantastic i have high hopes for him this season and I think long-term, most Jaguars fans feel that way. It's going to be really hard to evaluate him, though, until we do get farther away, right? Like, it's still that, that oh, every time Urban's mentioned, it's like, oh, I thought we put that to bed. But wait, we do still have to talk about it because it was just last season. Believe it or not, I mean, so much happened in such a short period of time that you think mm-hmm. it could be years ago at this point. But, you know, you mentioned the offensive yeah, line, Lauren. Like. Yeah. Oh, God. And if it feels that way for us, I can only imagine for you. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned the offensive line, and I think that's been one of the mm-hmm. surprises of the offseason for those observing from the outside. Uh, mm-hmm. We thought it was might be Evan Neal or Iki Aquanu at the top of the draft, and then Cam Robinson gets the tag, and we see today that he signs a three-year extension, uh, You know, up and down year for, right. for him at best last year as well. Uh, so where, where do you see the Jaguars in their process of understanding who they want as the number one pick. I use that offensive line situation as a microcosm of nobody's been really able to get much of a handle on it. Well, I think when it comes to the offensive line, it's natural to think that Doug Peterson would have wanted to solidify that to protect Trevor Lawrence. He was a quarterback himself, and he understands how important that line is. But that being said, Trevor Lawrence and Cam Robinson have a really good relationship, and Cam only allowed one sack last season. So while he's not getting you know any sort of accolades, and again, it's hard to get accolades on a team that's miserable, he is a pretty solid left tackle. So I think the way they looked at it is we've got a guy who our quarterback trusts him, he trusts our 
let's let's go ahead and franchise tag him for the here and now while working on an extension, and, and then that way we don't have to pay him that sixteen and a half million right up front, guaranteed. And let's figure out the rest of the offensive line without having to spend the number one overall pick on that. That that's my opinion. So that's why I do think Aquanu and Neil were in the mix for a long time until they started to tell us maybe a couple weeks ago or so that they were working on the extension for Cam. When it comes to the number one overall pick, I believe it will be Aiden Hutchinson because the Jaguars have already said their defensive coordinator, Mike Caldwell, has already said they're running a 3-4, switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4. Aiden Hutchinson is a perfect fit in the 3-4. The only knock on him is the short arms. I think he can manage that. He certainly played really well at Michigan in order to get the 14 sacks last season. Trevon Walker is better in a 4-3. That's not what the Jaguars will be running. That is not the personnel that they have. So that, to me, they have made up their minds as much as it seems to be a smokescreen. I don't know why they're smokescreening, but then again, I can't explain a lot of the things that come out of this town. Oh, come on. They just pulled the they just pulled the odds here, Candy. I was just gonna bet Hutchinson to go number one. Did you get it? <laughs> no, no. Come on. We're supposed to have ten minutes left to be able to bet on this. Nah. So Lauren, Lauren, here's the interesting thing on uh, on betting on the NFL draft. In Vegas, they actually in Nevada, they actually pull the uh, draft odds about uh, twenty four hours before the first pick. So I swear we were both looking because all day long Trayvon <laughs> Walker has been steaming up. It was almost uh three hundred yeah. to win a hundred on Walker to be the number one pick. So you feel pretty solid that Hutchinson, that this is all a, a smoke screen and well, the Jags are taking Hutchinson. I feel solid. However, my co-host on the show that I'm on and afternoon drive, they all picked Trevon Walker when we did our mock draft earlier and the loser has to buy lunch. So they feel very confident it's Walker, but to me, Trevon Walker, while outstanding at Georgia, he just doesn't fit what the Jaguars want to do. He doesn't have the production. And I do think the reason people link him to Jacksonville is because in the past, Trent Baalke has selected players based more off of traits than production. So that's where I think that connection comes in. I personally, and it could be just optimism, honestly, here, I personally am hoping and and believing that Doug Peterson and Shad Khan will be the ones more guiding this pick and that (laughs) Trent Baalke is there for a lot of research and advice, but that he doesn't get the final say-so again. That is my optimism based off of his track record in the draft. Yeah, the the bulky thing is is weird. I still don't understand what the hell was going on with Byron Leftwich, basically trying to get hired but bring in his own GM and pull a coup. Uh, could, did you guys ever make sense of what the hell was going on then? I, we did. It basically was more they were talking to Byron. It never got to the point where they said, okay, if we hire you, you get your own GM. There were conversations with him and with other candidates, but it never got to that point. And so that was a little bit of people getting ahead of the story and saying, oh, yeah, Byron's talking to this guy for a GM. The Jaguars never said to Byron, okay, it's your job, and who do you want as GM, and, you know, that kind of thing. Were there other candidates, head coaching candidates, that said they would not work with Trent Baalke? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no (laughs) surprise for that. He has been at the helm of, you know, multiple organizations where the head coach ended up being fired and he remained. So it, it's no surprise that, that different people have said that. At the end of the day, though, I think Shad wanted Doug all along. He just wanted to vet other candidates. He wanted to do his due diligence. If I was Shad, I would have hired Doug right off the rip. But I understand when you've been in this business now for 10 years and you've failed basically 9 out of 10 times, 
you do feel like you have to do more work than you've ever done before. And so thankfully it ended up being Doug Peterson. But Trent Baalke made a, a joke at the press conference on this um, past Friday as far as the pre-draft media luncheon. Doug Peterson said, hopefully we're not going to pick number one overall again. And Trent Baalke cracked the joke. I'm pretty confident I won't be picking number one overall. Oh, wow. And, and so, yeah, and so that sets the landscape up of you've got a head coach who knows he's got at least three years, if not more, and a general manager who may be disagreeing with the head coach on the pick because he's trying to pick for the the short term instead of the long term, and, and Doug Peterson certainly has the long term, I think, built in. So is it still a complete and total mess like it was last year? No. Is it? completely fixed heels and they're making the postseason this year also no <laughs> we got about 45 seconds left uh, lauren brooks is with us 1010 xl in jacksonville so what are they gonna what are they gonna do with the second round pick at 33 what would you like them to do at 33 what are they gonna do that's that's so interesting i think it all depends on the run on quarterbacks in the first round uh if there's not a lot of quarterbacks taken then that means the receivers that they want i think will be gone but hopefully there's a run on quarterbacks and one of the receivers that they want is there, uh, that they want is there. I would love to see a receiver picked at 33 to help Trevor. If you go defense at one, I'd love to see some speed at receiver, say like a guy like Sky Moore if he's there at 33. Lauren, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Certainly, guys. Enjoy the draft being right in your backyard. We will. Good times. Good times. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. Now, what would I want to see, Candy, if I were a Jaguar fan, is the first round to end someone or someone's to be all lathered up about the first pick in the second round. And if I'm the Jaguars, I trade the hell out of the pick and get more picks. They need more picks. Oh, uh, name a position on that roster that is set right now. Right. There's not one. There's not a single. I mean, yeah, you can't even say it about quarterback, even though you think that Trevor Lawrence will be better this year. Okay. So we started looking for to get back in the game on Aiden Hutchinson going number one, based on what Lauren was saying, because we've got so much action. Did you get back in? There's still a book in town that has plus 335 on Aiden Hutchinson to go uh, under you got one it. and a half. So, yeah, I'm in. You got it. <laughs> I got to hedge something on all this Neil and Aquanu that's dead. Well, uh, the uh, the wagering makes, you know, even if people aren't into the draft because it's not all sexy with a bunch of quarterbacks, uh, you know, if you've wagered enough money on over-unders and exact spots with all these players – we got some good action going into into tomorrow's. They're pulling things down all around Las Vegas here in the next couple of minutes. Uh, big series coming up for UNLV baseball, number one hitting team in all of college baseball. Hustle and Rebels are going to be hosting Hawaii at uh, LV Ballpark. Three-game series that's going to be May 6th through the 8th. Uh, you've got Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games at LV Ballpark. It's UNLV against Hawaii. Friday game is a 6.05 start. Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, 105. And 12.05, you get a special price if you're purchasing all three games. You can get your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. Again, UNLV having a really good season, just raking the ball, taking on Hawaii. Your chance to watch the games at LV Ballpark goes down Friday, May 6th through the 8th.